I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. If you are in Sunday school, you'll know what I'm referring to. I want to hear the rustling of the pages as we turn in our Bibles this morning to uh, this section of Genesis. Uh, part of me is disappointed to, to be finished with our series in Galatians, but uh, another part of me is eager to get started with this new series on the life of Joseph and see what God has in store for us in this portion of his word and what he's going to teach us and how he's going to, to nourish us as his children as we look at the story of Jacob and his, his sons. Uh, today is, in a sense, uh, introductory, and we're going to, we're going to meet the, this dysfunctional family uh, and learn a little bit about them. Before we read our verses, let's look to the Lord and ask for his help as we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us and revealed yourself to your children. Uh, we pray this morning as we begin this new series in the life of Joseph that you would that you would speak to our minds and transform them, that you would, where necessary, convict our conscience. And Lord, speak to our hearts so that all of our lives are conformed to the truth of your word. Lord, would you enable us this morning to see the, the big story of how you are saving uh, unworthy sinners by sending your son. And as we look at this smaller story of Jacob and his sons, we, we pray that we would find grace for ourselves and grace for our families. Hope and encouragement and challenge that comes to us through the gospel of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Let's hear God's word. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? 
Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Well, the story of Joseph is a great story. It's one of the greatest stories, I think, ever told. It has been called a novella, a little novel, and it contains all of the ingredients of a great novel. There is uh, conflict and envy and family drama and murder plots and sexual temptation. And, and through it all, God is sovereignly at work to bring about an amazing conclusion. But before we get into the, the details of this story, I think it would be helpful for us to see that this domestic story fits within the context of the larger story, what God is doing in the world. And we can take as our, our starting point, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After, after man rebelled against God in the garden, God responded in, in judgment and with a promise he promised that there would be this ongoing conflict between the seed of the serpent, the powers of darkness, and those in allegiance with Satan who would seek to destroy the seed of the woman, the, the people of God, the, the church of God. And we'll see that principle playing out as the story in the, in the life of Joseph and his family unfolds. As you go on in, in the book of Genesis, you see that, that promise, that, that promise of a seed, a promise of an offspring who, who would conquer the powers of darkness. We see that promise being expanded upon as Genesis unfolds. And you remember God called Abraham to himself and among other promises, God gave to Abraham this promise that through his seed, through his offspring, the nations of the world would be blessed. And the New Testament tells us, Paul, Paul tells us, actually Paul tells us in Galatians, that that promised seed is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the sending of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, that blessing would come to the families of the earth. And that's why the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew is so, so important. Because it begins by making this connection between the promises given to Abraham and, and the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, you know, the book of Genesis is, is divided up into different sections with a repeated phrase. These are the generations of. And that statement is found here in our passage in Genesis 37 verse 2. It's, it's the, the author's way of, of saying to you that God is beginning something new here in the unfolding of this story of grace. But here's the interesting thing. As we come to the story of Jacob and his sons, this is the last time this phrase appears in the entire Old Testament. And that's because the rest of the Old Testament is about the story of Jacob's sons and their descendants, the people of Israel. But this phrase does appear again in our Bibles, and it appears in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins his, his gospel and he tells us the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If, if Matthew had been writing in Hebrew, he would have used the exact same language that was used over and over again in the book of Genesis. These are the generations of. In other words, Matthew is intentionally connecting the story of Jesus to, to, to this phrase, to, to say that God is keeping his ancient promise to bring saving blessing to the world through the son of Abraham. And so there's the, the big story of, of God's promised deliverer. And God is at work in the world through Abraham's family to send, uh, send the savior of the world. But then as we, as we zoom in, here in Genesis 37, there's this domestic story of Jacob and his sons. It's a story about a father, his favorite son, and the jealous brothers. Now this is a family that has been, has been uh, well, they've experienced the, the covenant grace of God. This is Jacob who has been taken hold of by the Lord and the Lord has been at work in Jacob's life, sometimes painfully slow, but nevertheless at work in Jacob's life to untie the twists of Jacob's sinful heart. And when you look at this family though as a whole, it's, you know, Jacob, we meet him here as an old man and, and we'll see he still has ways to go. And when you look at the family as a whole, what you are met with is a dysfunctional mess. Each of the family members has their own deep flaws that God needs to deal with. And, and that, yes, that includes the, the hero of this story, Joseph himself. And so with an awareness of the big story that God is at work in the world to send a savior to save undeserving sinners. And he's going to do it through Abraham's family. We need to recognize that this dysfunctional mess is a part of God at work in the world to ultimately send the true son of Abraham into the world and bring blessing to the nations. I want us to see today, 
as we zoom in on this domestic story, I think there's a lot to learn about how God works in families. God made us in families. God made us for families. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that one of Satan's primary strategies will be to wreak havoc within the context of families. That one of the ways sin brings distortion and dysfunctionality into our lives is by the disintegration of the purposes of God for family life. And in the midst of all of the dysfunction caused by sin, what I want us to see today is the God that we trust and the God that we worship, he is able to graciously work among dysfunctional families. So I want to say at the beginning of this series, if your family life is complicated, you know, if it's gone terribly wrong and it's to the point where you, you feel as though there are some things and details and events that you just cannot bear, well, I think, I think you'll be able to identify with the likes of Jacob and his sons and with, with Joseph here. This is not a family that I think any of us would brag about. You've got Jacob, who uh, you remember as a boy was a master of trickery and deception and lies. You've got, you've got Reuben, who slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, basically as an act of rebellion. You've got Simeon and Levi, who slaughtered an entire town, and Jacob basically did nothing about it. And then you have Joseph, who's got his own issues that need to be dealt with. And so what we need to see here is this is, this is the raw material God is working with in this story. And at the beginning, I think we're meant to see that God is in the business of working among deeply flawed people and families. And that means, dear friends, that he can work among people like, like you and me. And so if your past story or perhaps your present story is, is one you'd like to forget, I hope the story of Joseph will give, give you, give us all fresh hope that God can take the broken threads of our lives and and weave them together to make something that is good and glorifying to him. Now, as we come to this text, uh, again, I, I want us to be introduced to the family, uh, the characters of this story, the people in, in this family. And this text introduces us to the father and the brothers and then to Joseph. So let's begin with the father. Jacob. What, what, what does this passage tell us about Jacob? Well, you, some of you will, will remember that uh, when I was preaching regularly in the evening services, we were, way, we were working our way through, through Genesis, and we looked at the life of, of Jacob. And one of the things we saw is that Jacob is, he was not a likable character, <laughs> 
He was not a person that you would want to choose to be your close friend. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. He he was a trickster. God chose Jacob. And God wrestled Jacob to the ground. And and he began the, the, the painful work of transforming Jacob more and more to something that would display the riches of God's grace. Yet here we are as we meet Jacob in this story. He has a new name, by the way. He's, he's no longer Jacob the Twister. He has received the new name Israel, the servant of God. And it's interesting because in this story, both names are used, Jacob uh, and Israel. But what I want you to see is in verse 3, it's Israel. The new name, this is, this is believing Jacob being spoken of in verse 3. Mark that. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And here is one of the way, or one of the ways dysfunctional family life plays out. It's when parents play favorites. And you know, whenever a foolish parent does that, a father or a mother, they, they can never they can never keep it a secret. It always is going to come out in, in what they say and in what they do. And so Joseph receives special treatment. He's given a, a coat of many colors. Now, no one really knows for sure exactly what this coat was. It, it could be a coat of many colors as is traditionally thought. But the only other occurrence of this in the Old Testament seems to refer to, to a specially tailored robe, a, a, a royal robe that would be worn in a royal palace. Whatever this robe was, the message was abundantly clear to the brothers. Joseph is dad's favorite. Joseph is the special one. Joseph gets special treatment. And tragically, Jacob, Jacob was just repeating the toxic family pattern from his own childhood experience. Because this is exactly what his father and mother did. Isn't it sadly true that we often perpetuate the family dysfunction that we have experienced, perhaps even been the victims of as children? This is exactly what Jacob's father did. Isaac preferred tough and rugged Esau over domesticated Jacob. And Jacob was a mama's boy. And Jacob grew up knowing that his father's heart was drawn to Esau more than it was drawn to him. Maybe some of you know what that's like. Maybe some of you know keenly that the pain that that causes. And so you would think Jacob of all people would be the last person to make this mistake and show favor to one of his sons over the others. You'd think that given his experience, knowing how that felt, knowing the pain that that caused, 
that he wouldn't fall into this same mistake. But my friends, how many of us, let's be honest, how many of us have said to ourselves as we've reflected upon something in our childhood that was done or said to us, I I will never do that. I will never speak that way. I will never act that way. And then here we are 20, 30, 40 years later, and we find ourselves committing the very same mistakes. You see, I think one of the lessons here we can learn from Jacob is that the twist, the distortion of sin goes far, far deeper into our hearts than we are often prone to realize or recognize. And so instead of learning from his father's mistakes, Jacob inherited the legacy of playing favorites. And as uh, Yogi Berra put it, it's deja vu all over again. And so this is a reminder, my friends, this is a reminder that we need God to deal with our dysfunctions. We need God to deal with the ways that sin is expressed in our relational lives. Because left undealt with, we will sow the seeds of dysfunction into the lives of our children. And we need God to take hold of us and our families. And as painful and as slow as it may be, begin the work of uprooting that dysfunction from our lives and remaking us to be what God is calling us to be in Christ. Here's Jacob, though, a man, a man gripped by the grace of God, a man of the covenant. And there are still these, these twists in his soul that need to be untied, that need to be untwisted. And, and here he stumbles right into the same old foolish mistakes that his mom and dad made when he was a boy. But you know, I think the really, the really tragic thing in this story is that Jacob's sinful disfavor of Joseph played a key role in the disaster that will unfold in the chapters to follow. Jacob's favoritism did not only sour Joseph's relationship with his brothers, it also soured his relationship with his sons. Do you notice by the end of this story, none of them actually respect their father at all. They they are willing to lie straight to his face. And so the story comes to us, dear friends, as, as a warning that apart from redeeming and transforming grace, that sinful dysfunctions in our lives will distort and disrupt our families. And therefore, one of the greatest needs that you and I have is to ask God to to open our eyes to all of the ways that sin distorts us. To, to, to open our eyes so that we can see the dysfunction in our lives. Because the reality is that all of us are dysfunctional sinners and all of us belong to dysfunctional families. That dysfunction is just expressed in different ways. Sometimes it's more public than others. I hope, I hope you don't think you're a member of a normal family. Because the reality is we are all distorted by 
sin. And sin in our own hearts is expressed in our lives to produce all manner of dysfunction. And for Jacob, the twist in his heart, it's on display here. His his favoritism almost destroyed his family. But that's the bad news. I want you to see that there's good news here because God in his grace, and it's going to take us a while to see this as we follow this story. God in his grace is able to deal with and work with dysfunctional sinners. And and he's able to uproot the dysfunction in their lives. And he's able to reconcile brothers who are alienated from one another. But that work, it's going to take time. It's going to involve pain and suffering for many of the people involved in this story. But the good news is God rescues Jacob and his family from this disaster. Because, well, it's, it is going to take time because the knots needing to be untied are, are complex. But the good news of this story and the story of Jacob's sons is that God is able to do it. And the folly of Jacob, I think, is on display here so that we can see the amazing grace of God for sinners. That God has taken hold of Jacob in his grace and he intends to untie the knot of sin in Jacob's heart. Then secondly, we're, we're introduced then to, to the brothers. Now, the theme word of brothers occurs no less than, I think it's 21 times in this chapter. When you think about brothers, I, I hope what you think about is you know, brotherly love. The affection between brothers But this is not a story about brotherly love. This is a story about brotherly hate. The book of Genesis was not originally written to be be read by everyone. It was primarily written to be heard because most people were not able to possess their own personal copy of the Pentateuch or the book of Genesis. So the author of, of Genesis, he gives us certain audible signals as you listen to this story that clue you in on what's really going on. And if you listen closely, there is a, there is a verb that continuously describes these brothers, and it's the verb hate. These brothers hate their brother Joseph. They hate him because he's Jacob's favorite. Well, then there's the issue of the dreams, he, he tells them the first dream and they hated him even more. And then, then he tells them the second dream and they hate him even more. And then verse 11 tells us that they were jealous of their brother Joseph. They didn't want Joseph to have what he had and they wanted what Joseph had. I want you to just think about this. Imagine the scene with me for, for a second here. You've got a shepherding family the brothers, are, the brothers are up early to tend to the flocks and perhaps they're all gathered together eating a, a hearty breakfast for a hard day's work. And then Joseph emerges from the tent with his fancy coat. And that alone evokes anger and hatred in their hearts. But then Joseph opens his mouth. 
And he says, brothers, I, I had a dream. There were these sheaves. We were tending to these sheaves. And my sheaf stood up and your sheaves bowed down to, to my sheaf. And the response, you understand, was anger. Maybe a couple days later, I don't know. Imagine the same scene. And, and Joseph comes out of the tent and says, Brothers, I've, I've had another dream. And not only are your sheaves bowing down to me, but the, but the sun and the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to me. You can understand why the brothers hated Joseph. They had cause. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus speaks about being hated without cause. Well, the brothers had cause. Joseph was dad's favorite. And now you have this 17-year-old young man blurting out these dreams to his brothers, telling them that, you know, older brothers, one day you're going to bow down and serve me. Verse 4 tells us what the result of all of this was. The brothers hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Literally, they could not speak peace to their brother Joseph. They could not go to Joseph and say, Shalom, shalom, peace be to you. I think there's a place for us to, to ask ourselves a question. Just to test ourselves is, is there someone in our family? Is there, is there someone here today that we cannot go to and speak a word of peace? This church, dear friends, is the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, is there someone here today that when you see them, perhaps what rises up within your heart is feelings of anger, malice, ill will? That's a contradiction of the gospel. That's, that's what that is. What, why speak of reconciliation with God through the blood of the cross if we cannot speak peace to one another? See, there's need for grace in, in this story. There's need for grace in our family lives and in our church. Grace that, yes, covers all of the guilt of our sin, but also grace that would take hold of us and transform us into the people God is calling us to be in Christ. A God who calls us to peace. And so in this story, we, we, we meet the father, we, we meet the brothers, and then of course there's Joseph himself. And not just today, but as we work our way through the rest of Genesis, there are there are two ways I think we ought to view Joseph. First of all, we need to view Joseph from the perspective of his own story, his own personal experience. Now, Joseph is the least obviously messed up member of the family. We can, I, think, I think we can easily assume, perhaps because of the way we've learned the story in our childhood, um, or because we know that Joseph is, humanly speaking, the, the hero of this story, we can, we can assume that Joseph is without fault. 
Joseph can say or do no wrong. Not so. We're talking about real-life people here. We're talking about sinners. And, you know, in in biblical narratives, um, often the first appearance of a character is vitally important for understanding uh, who that person is. And that's the case here with Joseph. This is, take a look at the first appearance of Joseph here in chapter 37. We uh, look at what he does in verse 2. 17 years old, he's out in the fields with his brothers taking care of the flocks. Verse 2 tells us he brought back a bad report of his brothers to his father. You know, in the Old Testament, that phrase is used to describe the spies that were sent into the land of Canaan and came back with a bad report. It's used in Proverbs chapter 10, and it's translated slander. And so I think we're right to say that Joseph made his own contributions to the division of this family. Honestly, though, to be frank with ourselves, what Joseph did, I think, happens far more often than, than we'd like to admit within our own families and within the family of God. I'll tell you what this looks like in the family of God. A brother or sister sees another brother or sister say or do something that is wrong. Something that's sinful. And instead of going to that brother or sister... They go around spreading a bad report. Perhaps they'll go to an elder and say, look, there's this, I, I heard this, I saw this. You guys need to do something about this. You know what Joseph should have done? Joseph should have gone to his brothers and, and said to them in a spirit of love and gentleness and humility, you know, brothers, I, I, know, I know dad is not perfect, But what's going on here is a grievance to our Father. And more than that, it's a grievance to God. Can we we talk about this together? Can Can we work through this amongst ourselves? But instead, Joseph, what's he do? Well, I think maybe the phrase we would use is we'd call Joseph a tattletale. That's what Joseph does here. You know how much people despise a tattletale. Because instead of talking to his, his, his brothers, well, let's just apply it to ourselves. Instead of taking a brother or sister aside and having the courage to speak eye to eye and go around spreading a bad report, that's what Joseph was doing, I believe. So you see how, you see how real this story is. I, 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 I've known people like Joseph. Joseph's a really good boy. He's a nice boy. He's a well-behaved boy. But he lacks character. And he lacks character because he's a 17-year-old boy who has had 17 years of privilege. 17 years of things being given to him. 17 years of being favored above his other siblings. And he lacks character. But here's the thing, dear friends. God, this is what I think we are meant to see in the life of Jacob and now in the life of Joseph, that God is in the business of producing character 
in the lives of his people. And he's going to work in, in, in the years to come to develop character, work character into Joseph's life. That is what Joseph's personal story is about. It's about God working character into the life of one of his children. And he is going to, he's going to sign Joseph up in the school of suffering in order to do that. And friends, one of the things we need to learn from Joseph is this is exactly what God in his grace wants to do in your life and in my life. It's to produce Jesus-like character. Now, I know, I, I know in, in our day, that way of thinking about God's grace has almost vanished. There's lots of talk about the gospel Lots of talk about being Christ-centered and, and grounded in grace. And yet it seems to me like many have forgotten that one of the primary aims, one of the primary goals of the gospel is to produce people who look more and more and more like Jesus. Who reflect something of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think Joseph is a reminder God wants to work character in our lives. Character that will go from, from one trial on to the next. Because God has put Christ-like character into our lives. But there's another way, though, to, to, to view Joseph's story. And what I want you to just see, this is, a, this is a hopefully an introduction to what we will get into more as we continue to study that there is, there is something Jesus-like revealed in the life and experience of Joseph. You know, as, as we work our way through this narrative, I think we're going to see a pattern developing in, in Joseph's life that is the very same pattern God the Father in his wisdom would use to bring the Savior into the world and accomplish our everlasting salvation. Just think about a few things. Joseph is hated by his brothers with cause. Jesus was hated by his own without cause. Joseph is sold for the price of a slave and Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Joseph was, uh, well, he faced false charges and Jesus was falsely condemned. Joseph was thrown down into the pit and utterly humiliated until God raised him up to a position of power and again, humanly speaking, became the savior of the world. And through all of that suffering that God led Joseph through, God was producing Jesus-like character in Joseph's life. We're just getting started with the story of this family. But I want you to see that there is this Jesus-like pattern to Joseph's life. And this is, this, is the, this is the one great thing that God is up to in the world, dear friends. It's to redeem people for himself and to produce within his people something that looks like Jesus. So as we get started with the story of this family, this dysfunctional family with all of its, with all of its problems, 
Just remind yourself that this is part of God's wise plan to bring salvation to the peoples of the earth. I find that to be an incredible encouragement because there isn't a single family or individual here who is not a dysfunctional sinner. And this story is here to declare to us and remind us that God is in the business of working with dysfunctional sinners and dysfunctional families. For some of us, family dysfunctionality is a painful daily reality. But you see, there's a word of gospel hope here, isn't there? God is able to work and take this dysfunctional family. And while the road is long and hard and difficult and painful, see what God is doing. He, he is untangling this mess and will eventually remove the alienation between these brothers. And my friends, we can look to this same God of grace and call out to him and say, Father, would you do this same thing in my life? Would you, would you work to untangle the sin in my own heart and untie the knots created by all of the dysfunction in my life? And would you do it to produce something Jesus-like in my family? Well, let's pray together. Lord, we, we are needy, and so we are thankful that in your grace you are able to meet uh, all of our needs. And we pray for our families and ask you today that you would work among them in your grace as we give ourselves to you today afresh and pray that you would work in our lives to bring about something that reflects and looks like our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.